Welcome to More, the podcast where Debbie will explore real-life applicable ways to get more out of your life. And here's Debbie. Hello, everybody. I'm so excited to be back with you. I am going to finish up the Jody Moore book today, and we're going to do the last two chapters and put it into one podcast. So I really love the way she ends her book. The last chapter is awesome. And then chapter 15, God in the Model, and then chapter 16, Better Than Happy. So let's give it a go. Here we go. She starts out by saying that the model is an amazing tool for helping us observe ourselves and the results we create in our lives. And this is when we put everything into CTFAR, circumstance, thought, feeling, action, result, which is what she's focused on in this book. So she says it gives us all of our power back by showing us that we are accountable for what we are thinking experiencing and ultimately creating this concept is the opposite of what we were taught in the past by well-meaning people we were taught that other people can hurt our feelings we were told to be nice so we wouldn't hurt other people's feelings but what we are taught is backward and it makes the world a scary place because it means we have to navigate other people or try to control them and i truly believe this taking control of our own lives and not putting it onto somebody else so much we are victims and I feel like I grew up like that maybe like a victim instead of learning to take control of myself the model puts the focus back on us it tells us to be nice because being nice feels good and because we are nice people rather than to be nice so that other people don't feel bad It teaches us that we get to feel however we want to feel, no matter what anyone else says or does. It helps us decide what we want to do and who we want to be instead of trying to control the uncontrollable. It's an incredible relief to live this way. And then she talks about how she had this hairstylist and the guy wanted her to become his account or want he wanted to become her accountant and she didn't want to and in the past she would have just said she would have like not known how to react she would have probably been dishonest and said made up some reason why she couldn't do it instead of just saying no thank you and so she she said that the hairstylist has learned and she's learned to just not worry about what his feelings are. If he's going to be upset, don't worry about it. Just go and do what you feel is best for you and say, I appreciate it, but I'm going to follow this pattern. And I think we do this way too much. We just live for other people instead of ourselves. Now, I really, that doesn't mean that we just be selfish because I want to go back to where she said we be nice to other people because we want to be a nice person. And so we still can incorporate that giving and service to others, but we do it because that's who we want to be, not because we're trying to please somebody else. I have this um, sign in my kitchen right now that says, do things for people, not because of who they are or what they do in return, but because of who you are. 
Then she said she found that it only takes one experience like this, like this with the accountant and the hairdresser to feel how much more honest and empowered it is to live in control of yourself instead of trying to control others. I love getting to watch people put this into con- this concept into action and experience for themselves. So I feel like lately I've been around um, a lot of situations where everybody's trying to tell somebody else what to do. Let people make their own choices. I feel like we're always trying to tell people what we should have them do instead of making their own choices. And I think this is powerful. Be listeners, love other people, and we don't need to control other people, just our own lives. She says the model is a tool for understanding human behavior. It's a useful way to become an observer of yourself, which gives you leverage over yourself. It helps you to be more compassionate and understanding of others. Then she says that people ask her, how does God fit into the model? They want to know if God gives us our thoughts or feelings. They ask her how they can tell if they're thinking their own thoughts or if their thoughts are coming from God. She says, does God give you a thought, a feeling? Does this mean that God can control our thoughts or feelings in some way? How does all of this work? The truth is, of course, that I don't know. I can't possibly claim the ability to explain any of that. But I also think it's the wrong question to be asking. I don't think it matters whether he gives us thoughts or feelings or how God works in general. I think if God thought it was necessary for us to understand this, he would tell us, I think that our need to have faith and trust without knowing is part of what completes our experience here on earth. I believe the question we should be asking ourselves is not how does God influence us, but rather how can I get to the place where he is and I can hear him? Or in other words, how can I keep myself open to receive and recognize his influence? And then she says the answer is to clean up our thinking. Cleaning up our thinking is the continuous work of my life. It's the work I strive to do every day and the work I plan to continue to do until I die. Observing and choosing our thoughts is how as humans we are able to operate at the effect of our higher, wiser human brains rather than the effect of our primal brains. But we will never finish this work in our lifetime. It's not a checkbox mark or a checkbox to mark off, but rather a reoccurring task necessary to access God's spirit and live the kind of life that we create with his guidance. Just as we will regularly make mistakes in this life and therefore will often need to repent, we will continually have thoughts that don't serve us and will frequently need to examine and clean up our thinking. Then she talks about how she ha- she doesn't love housework and she usually will she doesn't love to mop. So she will sweep and if she sweeps more frequently, she doesn't have to mop as often. She says that regularly doing the small things keeps my mind focused on useful thoughts so that I have less heavy-duty thought work to do to be the person I want to be. So the sweeping is the small things and the mopping is the heavy-duty stuff. And she says, what are the small things? What is sweeping when it comes to thought work? And she suggests some things 
reading scriptures, connecting to God through prayer, um, spending quality time with family, serving others, and I added a few things, reading and learning about thought work continuously, listening to podcasts, reading things that help us doing some life coaching. She says, these activities sweep our brains. They keep us thinking clean. They help us have thoughts of gratitude and abundance for the goodness in our lives. They help us feel more love and compassion for ourselves and others, and they keep us centered on Christ. Now, she says, I want to be clear that there's nothing wrong with needing a good mop every now and then. Sometimes in my life, I've needed deep coaching, therapy. Sweeping is not a fix-all for the human condition. Sometimes we have biological factors such as hormone or chemical imbalances, and some people have experienced traumatic effects that require regular mopping. There is no shame in any of this, but I know that if you choose to pay more attention to controlling your own thoughts and less to trying to change things outside of you, you will see tremendous progress in your mental and emotional health. I also know that the more often you do the little things we are taught to do, sweeping, the less often you will need more serious interventions, mopping. And I really think that that's true in everything that we do in our lives. You know, we talk about, you know, wanting to make the basketball team or make, you know, get a good grade or getting landing a good job. But you have to do all the little things that it takes to get to that point. So the little things in thought work are by far the most important. We can't just think that we're going to be all that much better. We have to do the small things. We have to do listen to the podcast. We have to write down. We have to write on our cards, our 3 by 5 cards, and put them around the house to remind us of what things we should be thinking. For me... All of these things make a difference. Then she said that Christ is the perfect example of clean thinking. When he lived on earth, he showed us what it looks like. In Matthew 8, we read about Christ and his disciples on a stormy sea. His disciples were afraid and couldn't understand how he could just be sleeping. But he demonstrated that because of his great faith, his thought that there is nothing to fear and that through God anything is possible he could create the miraculous result of calming the sea. Perhaps his model looks something like this. Circumstance, stormy sea, thought, we need not fear, feeling, faith, action. Remind disciples of the power of faith in word and in action. Calm the sea. Result, there is nothing to fear. We don't have to achieve the level of mastery over ourselves that Christ demonstrated in order to feel the benefits of choosing our thoughts. And choosing our thoughts doesn't look like being happy all the time. Christ experienced all emotions. I know I will never be as good at clean thinking as Christ is, but along with his example, he gave us the atonement which makes up for our shortcomings. There is literally literally nothing to fear. So I'm going to tell you just a little bit about just my life lately. Um, I have been dealing with um, problem knees for like almost the whole the whole calendar year, 2023. I've been to every doctor. I've been to physical therapists. My daughter has coached me through all kinds of things. I've done eating changes. I've done all kinds of exercise, 
building my muscles stronger and nothing is working. I've even had surgery. Nothing's working. So I thought I had surgery. I've been resting my knees for nine months. I thought I'm going to be fine. I went and played pickleball, you know, strong out this last week twice and I can hardly walk after it. It's just been so frustrating to go through all of this and still have the same problems. And so, you know, I've been thinking about this with my thought work is get I could get frustrated or I could believe that I'm going to find the answer. Every time I do something different, I get to the next step. So now I feel like this is arthritis in my knees, so I've gotten to the next step. The doctor, when he had did the surgery, said, there's just nothing wrong. I had... Um, I had like a loose body part that had to be taken out. So he took that out and looked and said, there's nothing wrong but arthritis. So now I'm to that step. And then I tried all kinds of natural remedies, you know, CBD and different oils and different things. And those things aren't working either. So I'm just taking myself from one step to the next to this to the next. But I have to believe that, you know, even though I don't have the perfect answers, even though I'm not playing pickleball, I can still have faith that I am going to fix the problems and that there are people out there that can help me. I just have to keep working and changing my mindset that my life's over, I can't ever play pickleball again if that's the case or whatever. Just believe that, hey, I can find answers. And so we just have to have faith that all these things will work out and learn to control the way that we think and not be gloom and doom with everything that happens in our lives. Now, her last chapter, Better Than Happy, is so awesome. And she talks how her and her family, took they took their kids to Disneyland and what a magical place it was and how happy it was and how excited everybody was. And they all loved Disneyland. And she says, I love the many experiences available to us in this life, such as Disneyland. Disneyland that allow us to feel happy and inordinate amount of time. She says it's a rare nature to seek it's human nature to seek them. We believe that happiness is the very best thing. It motivates us more than anything else. We seek after all these things. We believe that we will that we believe that these things will allow us to feel happiness even though happiness is always created by our thoughts, remember? Um, Also, romantic relationships, a new house, more money, a slimmer body, a nice vacation, the completion of our to-do list, approval from all of these other, all other people. It's okay that we do this as long as we are keeping our desires aligned with our values. It's not a problem to seek happiness from outside things, but it becomes a problem when we start chasing something that we can never truly catch. Or when we do so at the expense of what matters most. Like my cat, who can't really catch the laser light from a laser pointer. We can't catch happiness the way we believe that we can. Happiness is fun, but it's fleeting. It's temporary. It's an itch that never truly gets scratched. And it's not what we are designed for. We are designed for something even better than happiness. We are designed for joy, which is much more complex than happiness. We crave growth and expansion. We want and need the dynamic contrast 
that life provides. Feeling alive is more fulfilling than feeling happy. I believe that what we crave is much deeper and longer lasting than we know. It's the feeling of accessing your highest, most loving, most trusting, most Christ-like self. It's a feeling that comes and goes, but unlike simple happiness, true feeling alive changes us because it requires that we overcome something or that we become more intentional with our thoughts, feelings, and actions. And the better you get at conscious thinking, the more full and rewarding your life becomes. So, like with my scenario, just with my legs, I overcome this. And if I can't fix my legs and I can't play pickleball, then I find joy and happiness and feeling alive in other things. Hiking, walking, being with family, right? That we can find joy in anything that we do. She says, even happiness requires a contrast of emotions. Without pain, we can't feel joy. Without suffering, we can't feel relief. Without fear, we can't feel trust. Without contempt, we can't feel love. Yes, we came here to earth to experience joy, but we had to enter this mortal state of state to experience it because mortality is what allows for the full experience of being alive. Opposition is how we get to joy. Joy is better than happiness. Happiness is lovely, but it's also sort of boring. Joy requires presence. It requires that you be here now. Happiness is, I can't wait to go on a vacation. It's going to be so fun. Happiness kind of refers to the future or the past. Remember when, how nice it was when the kids were younger and they didn't talk back? But joy is not about anticipating a future moment or recalling a past memory. Joy lives in the right here, right now. Happiness is riding a roller coaster at Disneyland. Joy is watching my child's face when he realizes he wrote it, even though he was terrified to do so. Joy changes him by giving him a bit more confidence than he had before, and it changes me by creating a memory and bond with my child. Happiness exists in moments when things are going how we thought they should go, but joy exists even in the midst of chaos. Joy is the peaceful reassurance that somehow everything is going to be okay. Even if okay is not what you pictured as you sit in a hospital waiting room awaiting news. It exists in the embrace of your child. It exists in the comforting wisdom of your husband or your friend. It exists in the small moments that you never could have predicted and rarely can fabricate. Happiness says, what should we do next? Joy says, Everything we need is right here in this moment. Happiness is planning an outing for your family to go on together at a special time. Joy is soaking in the sound of everyone helping clean up after dinner on an ordinary Tuesday. Happiness requires something outside of the norm. I want to say that part again. Happiness requires something outside of the norm. Joy is seeing the magic in the mundane. Happiness can't wait to achieve a goal. Joy knows that the process of getting there is the best part. Happiness hopes that one day the house will still stay clean for a bit longer. Joy recognizes that true living is messy. 
Happiness loves a compliment from another person. Joy knows that the compliment tells us more about the person giving it than the one receiving it. Happiness comes from the thought that finally things are complete for the moment. Joy comes from the thought that nothing was ever missing in the first place. And she tells a story about how recently she was driving to pick up her daughter from preschool. She was late and she was tapping on the door handle of the car as she waited for the light to turn green. And then when it did, the car in front of her didn't go right away and she felt this frustration rise within her and she had thoughts like, come on, buddy, pay attention, move it, get going. Just before the gentleman stepped on the gas, I noticed a sticker on his back window that read, Vietnam veteran. Upon reading that my emo- upon reading that, my emotions shifted to compassion. I thought, oh, he's a Vietnam veteran. I'm so grateful to him, and I wonder what his life has been like. He also must be older, and I wonder if he's healthy. This is okay. He doesn't need to hurry for me. As I continued down the road toward my destination, I recalled a similar experience in which I'd been on the receiving end of someone's impatience. Years ago, when I was overdue to deliver one of my babies, I was at the grocery store late at night picking up a few things. As I stopped to load something into my car, a gentleman behind me asked me in an irritated voice to move over so he could get by. When I turned around to see him, he noticed my huge pregnant belly, and his demeanor immediately changed. I'm so sorry, he said. I didn't realize you were in a delicate condition. I remember this experience clearly because he called pregnancy a delicate condition, and I thought that was an interesting way to describe it. In my car that day, on the way to pick up my daughter, I thought about how we do this to other people. We judge them. We are irritated with them and their shortcomings. But sometimes when we catch a glimpse of their challenges, we soften. We lose judgment and move into compassion as our thoughts about this other person change. But what if we just assumed that everyone is in a delicate condition? Because we all are, aren't we? It's called the human condition. And even though we don't always wear it on our bellies or sticker on the back of our cars, have a sticker on the back of our cars with it, we all have places inside of us that are delicate, terribly delicate. Those places are worthy of compassion and love, not judgment and hate. Learning to see others in this way is, again, what Christ shows us to do and what we can strive for if we choose. This is better than happiness. This is love. Next to my knowledge of God, understanding the power of my thoughts in creating my experiences has changed my life more than anything else. In other words, if you feel stuck in your present life, if you feel no enthusiasm for anything, if you think you have no purpose or that you lost that purpose somewhere along the way, I guarantee you are living in a dungeon made of stories and that none of those limiting stories are true. I definitely want to embrace the experience of being alive. I'm not always good at it. I still chase happiness, and in the process, I distract myself from truly living. I make more mistakes than I could possibly count. I feel all the emotions that humans experience, and some of these emotions are useful, while many of them are not. But I am striving to embrace the complete experience of both pain and peace, which I call joy. I know I was meant for joy, and I know it's available to me when I stop trying to control the things outside of me 
and then get still and deliberate with my thoughts and feelings. Do you know what's better than simply being happy? Attempting to understand and embrace your unfathomable worth, recognizing the completeness of everyone around you, being willing to fail in the name of showing up in your life, trusting that everything in this life is orchestrated in favor of your progression, learning to become good at something that first requires you to be very bad at it, continuously evolving your personal experience of God, loving people who don't even like you, staying open enough to constantly be learning, loving yourself no matter what, taking full accountability for every result you experience, and having compassion with yourself. In other words, what's better than happy is this moment, right here, right now. That's the end of Better Than Happy. Thank you, Jody Moore, for all of your wisdom and insight and examples and experiences that you share. And I'm just so grateful for people that can help us make our lives better. The next book, the next podcast is going to be Atomic Habits by James Clear. Tiny Changes, Remarkable Results, an easy and proven way to build good habits and break bad ones. I think all of us can benefit from this too, and I'm excited to keep on moving forward with our lives and changing and growing our mindset. Thanks everybody for sharing the podcast, for listening, and for all that you do for me. I appreciate all that you do. Have a great couple of weeks, everybody. See you next podcast.